Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about a different Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Keep Em Coming. Glad this is the one we got because I really have a lot to say about it. You know, in the course of the 22 year career, I, I really think Mr. Tiger here has, has has put out some great work. You know, and I think there's just a lot to be said for someone you know still alive, 83 years old. It's just it's just really killing it, Mr. Tiger. Yeah, Al Kaline. Al Kaline. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You asked me to be on the Al Kaline podcast, uh-huh. so now I'm here. You know, I all star eighteen of those twenty two years, really high percentage. Part of the K line network, we got we got our offshoot, our sister podcast, the Mickey K line show, where mm-hmm. it's just it's just all the episodes of Hey Arnold that involve the baseball player Mickey K line. Yep, you know, I, I really think we are on to something good here, yeah. and in my opinion, we should uh we should keep them coming. Well, you know, if you want to make money in this world, podcasting, best way to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, two weeks ago, someone vented me enough money to get a burrito, and uh, I'm appreciative of that. Get out of town. No, I just wish they did. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. The Alkaline Trio. We are talking about a banger of an Alkaline Trio song this week, my friend David Anthony. My friend, uh, not Peter, uh, Tim Crisp. Thank you. Thank you for introducing me so so well. Our episode this week is for Keep Em Coming, the first track on the Alkaline Trio's second LP, Maybe I'll Catch Fire, which was released on Asian Man Records on March 14th, 2000. Yeah, I mean, the follow-up to God Damn It. Well, yes, in a sense, David, Maybe I'll Catch Fire was the follow-up to God Damn It, but... What is probably a better way to consider it is that it's the follow-up to the I Lied My Face Off EP, Mm -hmm. which, you know, while only being four songs, was a really, really, you know, important release, I think, for this band who was shifting from being Matt plus one Dan song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And into Matt Skiba and Dan Andriano songwriters for the alkaline trio yeah i mean i think that's something i i do forget about a little bit right like i love that ep and i love the songs on it but i, I think it's interesting to think about you know maybe i'll catch fire as the follow-up to that because the band was really you know writing a lot of songs between 97 and 99 really right and this is a such a transitional piece because on i lied my face off you have two matt two dan really putting them on equal footing. And they're both kind of doing the same thing of like writing one song. It's a little more up-tempo, uh-huh. a little more fun, even if the lyrics are a little darker. And then writing two very dark songs. Right. Two bum-out jams. And, you know, that really does presage what we're seeing here. Yeah, it totally does. Because there's, I guess, you know, God damn it is it's just such a first record it's such just like a a huge just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks these Mm -hmm. songs are pouring out of this guy and it turns out that 
all of it stuck. Yeah. All, you know, it's there's a there's a reason why everybody holds that record in such high esteem. But I Line My Face Off is really the first time where it feels a lot more calculated and not calculated in a sense that's negative in any way. Sure. It's just put together, it's thorough, and it all fits within this mood that takes the heaviness to a whole nother level. Absolutely. I mean, if, if Ski was clearly writing in a darker mode from the jump, like you see dark lyrics on... Uh, God damn it. But here is where that really snaps into place. And I think you see that, you know, on Keep Them Coming and the rest of the record. Like, this song to me has always felt like a pure encapsulation of what happens next. And I think the band's always had good openers, but this one sets a tone from the very beginning. Right. And it's kind of the first time that, you know, this is the self aware alkaline trio Mm -hmm. coming up with the album opener you know cringe it's it's just like we'll throw that one first you know and that one fits and and you know the caterwaul of everything that happens after it but in the sense of maybe i'll catch fire like being a pretty well orchestrated record keep them coming it works much more as a mission statement and much more as one that's just like all right everything that we lay out in this track is what follows and it's all tonally aware, but it's also aware of the fact that we know that you know this band. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, because if we look at structurally, let's like, let's compare Cringe to Keep Them Coming uh-huh. for the sake of this. Both songs that open with a guitar riff, mm-hmm. very prominently placed. Cringe is very fast, very manic, like, I got ideas, need to get them out. Very percussive in how he plays it. But maybe I'll catch fire that's starting to soften. You know, this is kind of just one chord. It's, yeah, it's definitely, it's just movement within an A chord that goes down to a D. And also within that, you have a much, much sharper guitar tone Mm -hmm. that totally benefits the way that this riff comes off. Oh, absolutely. And like, it, it lends itself to being layered. You know, like it's it's like fucking dear you where Uh it's like some of these songs need to have a bunch of guitars on them because that's what feels correct. Right. And that's what this song feels like to me. Yeah. And one of the things I like about this riff and the way that it comes off is that, you know, like the cringe riff, it's like you said, it's so percussive, but it it also feels like the microphone is just jammed into the speaker (laughs) cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one, it's like distanced and it has a bigness to it. Yeah. Well, you know, th- this is something I kind of touched on, but I've been waiting to expand on for the right song. But back in the Eating Me Alive episode, it talks about how that song is just kind of a build to one line. Uh huh. And I've always kind of felt that about this song, which is just, you know, Skiba lays down that riff, and then they are really just pushing it up the hill for uh-huh. a long time like the song is over four minutes which up to that point was pretty rare for them yeah and you know he's really you know there's a chorus but kind of not really this is the most where he's getting in this weird space of almost linear songwriting but it is giving you the illusion it's a verse chorus verse chorus song right because well i i guess what what i get off of that is the fact that the last the last line in the chorus just has a kind of similar arc to the 
I'm much like him. Those yeah. lines that end the verses. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where like he does, he starts doing that a little bit. And I think, you know, it's kind of even true of uh, Jake Don Greenbeer's the last episode. Right. You know, where it's like, I hope this is goodbye. Like we're all leading to this one kind of central thesis. Uh-huh. And I think that's, you know, I don't know how he wrote these songs, but it's interesting when like, it almost feels like the lyrics had to have come first to have that make sense from a structural standpoint. Yeah, certainly. And this song is like pretty well structured, you know, going back to Jake Don Greenbeers again, where those verses are laid out in, you know, such a formulaic mm-hmm. way. Uh, Keep Em Coming's verses are pretty similar. Yeah, no, that. totally. I, in like word heavy phrases where right. it's like kind of doubling up on, you know, lyrics and therefore this part needs to go this long because I have this much shit to say. Right, right. And, you know, it's got to start with 14 hours ahead and it's got to address that 14 hours in the next line. It's Mm -hmm. got a really, really nice, like, structure to it and, you know, really evocative language within it. But before we get to the lyrics, you know, we should talk about the fact that this riff is also pretty different from the style of guitar playing that matt had just this is a you know matt will do this a lot where he'll he'll you know invert the same chords and and find a way to do something within it and and that's what his riffs are based on are Mm -hmm. just like you know three different things within the same chord absolutely i mean Really, is you can compare it directly to Al Kaline's career, where he comes in and he's playing a much faster game up top. You know, by the time he's ending his career, I'll stop here. Uh, but thank the, you. <laughs> so Al Kaline, uh, no, you're you're completely right. Like it's definitely Skiba hanging on a chord and just figuring out how to kind of find variations within it, uh-huh. right? And you know, he was not doing that any time really earlier well he was he was strumming so vigorously at Mm -hmm. the beginning and this one if you play it you don't need to hit that that's really the only part when he gets to that d yeah and what i love within that is how glenn and dan interact with that strumming pattern yeah i mean we've said this a lot but i think it's really going to come back to it you know, it's just very crucial to what makes their songs work when you're a three piece, right? Uh-huh. Like a good three piece is a band where everyone is carrying their weight. And so much of the dynamic shifts in the song to me have always felt like a product of Glenn where he's speeding up and slowing down and really pushing and pulling how this song feels because Skeep is not deviating much. Right. You know, and obviously Dan, obviously, plays into that a lot too but to me this has always felt like a glenn showcase to me glenn is yeah he's he's so interesting in just like you know working with that riff how choppy he is against it and then coming back to the d and (laughs) um but within those verses too like those dynamic shifts like especially in you know the first half of the third verse when it hangs mm-hmm. out a little bit when you know we're into the 14 hours but when he like picks it back yeah. up there's a really really nice like bounce to that and oh it's, yeah and like that you know is so helpful for a song that is so repetitive and it's mm-hmm. repeating like structures that are long themselves yeah yeah and i mean part of the reason i've always re- been really drawn to this song like i said it sets a tone but like that riff he's playing like 
you throw some effects on it, it's almost like a muddy, My Bloody Valentine song. Right, totally. I almost said My Muddy Valentine, <laughs> which would be a great cover band where it's like Muddy Water songs in the style of My Bloody Valentine. Well, no, what Someone it should on be is should be My Bloody Valentine, but it should be featuring uh, band members TJ Mudd, BJ Mudd, and Vinny Mudd. Mm-hmm. Shout out Normal Illinois. And it should be the soundtrack to the film Mud. And I think that would really hit it very well. And and the the big concert should happen at the Mud Club from Night at the Roxbury. I mean, clearly. Uh, alternatively, I was going to say, you know, you throw a bunch of tremolo on this. You know, he's trem picking it. Uh-huh. Throw a little more distortion, lo-fi. That's basically a black metal riff. Yeah. You know, so like, there's interesting things that like he now, never this could be a deaf heaven riff, and everybody would hate it except for squares. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if you're true cult like me, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but well, it's it's very high. It's a higher mm-hmm. octave of an A chord, and it just goes down to a, a D power chord, which doesn't have a lot of low end to it. So... Totally, it's very shrill. Yeah. Dan really carries it just with that boom, 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 boom. I just, I just want to say, like Dan as a bass player, especially in these early records, like I know he tends to like think of himself as having overplayed a lot uh-huh. on God Damn It, and I, I do feel like maybe this record is a bit of a reaction to that. Yeah, but he's so good at just finding space in these things and yeah. really pushing them into directions that I don't know if they would hit with another bass player. Like this song in the hands of a lesser drummer and a lesser bass player is four minutes that get pretty boring pretty fast because it takes about two minutes to really get through a chorus and through that cycle. Right. Yeah. It it's, it's long. It's, and those, those, those structures of those verses are long and that riff takes a long time to get (laughs) through. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, like 64 measures or something. Right. Like, it goes on for a while. Definitely. But, um, Definitely. One thing, though, that is uh, worth pointing out, very quick point, is that when, you know, when he plays the riff and then the full band comes in and you get those, like, extra layers that, you know, really punctuate the fact that here's the band and we got, like, a couple more guitars added on top, to, on top of it. Matt Allison like mixes them down like individually. You ever notice that? How no. each of them just like drop out in like like they're just not all dropping out at the same time. Huh. It's very confusing. Well, so let's talk about a different Matt Allison record and a different band. Grown ups. Uh, Grown ups. Exactly. <laughs> With the woes. Whoa. And that, they just cut yeah, in. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you not notice that? I mean, it goes back to the symbols on From Here to Infirmary, who I don't know if he's the person to throw blame on. Right. But there's blame to be put. Yeah. And there's been enough weird Matt Allison decisions over the course of time to make me wonder if I should be pointing a finger. But I've never really uh, caught that. But, I mean, this record does feel kind of messy in a way that I love. Yeah. Like, I love that some of these decisions, like the guitar tone's a little better, the tones are a little better from god damn it but it really feels like you know them learning how to paint with colors that match what they're going for where yeah, whereas definitely. like whereas like you said with god damn it, it's kind of throwing everything and seeing what sticks and uh-huh. a lot of it sticks this one's like we are going to be very specific and intentional with how the guitar tone is how the drums are seated which have always felt kind of buried to me right you know and I think even in the decisions of like the artwork and the intentionality behind everything, like 
they set out to make a darker record and they you know had to do make the decisions that got them the darker record like the tones on god damn it would feel so out of place on these songs oh my god yeah and and i think that you know one of the things that this track does especially well is it uses the language to you know it's a continuation on like the vernacular that matt establishes for himself on I lied my face off and on yeah. God damn it. He's, you know, he's got these images and he throws them down on this song that I think is, it does a very good job of painting broad strokes and giving you, you know, like we've been saying that first album feel of just setting sure. it up and putting him in place and giving you enough of an insight into where he's at, but it's not, as experience-based as it has been in the past. Totally. I mean, there's a couple of things in that that I want to touch on. One is I was expecting you to hate this song uh-huh. from well, back in episode one when we t- ranked these records, and you said that a lot of this felt kind of tired and lazy, and I felt like the lyrics were, were going to be something in the song you went at, and we'll get to that in a minute. Going through this process of listening to a lot of these songs, I've, I've started seeing a lot of parallels between tracks that I'd never really picked up on. Uh-huh. You know, um, I hinted at this on the uh, Eating Me Alive episode where there's, you know, a song that feels like retreads of other songs. Right. right? And subject matter wise, this is basically a retread of San Francisco. Yeah. You know, it's about flying. It's about, you know, kind of like in this days being really drunk and hung over and kind of like dreading going back to something. Right. You know, but he expresses it in a way where the, his use of language is much more evocative, I think. Whereas on San Francisco, he's being like, I'm drinking beers at 4 p.m. So they cost $4 and now it is 5 p.m. and they are $5. And uh-huh. I'm going from San, going from, you know, this airport to that airport. This one's much more, you know, it, it's throwing things in there that you might not pick up on. And, I do wonder if people even know the songs about flying sometimes because there's just so much he's throwing in there. Uh huh. So I guess the parallel that you're, that you're seeing is that it's not, it's not as experience based or, well, I mean just that the subject matter is so similar at the core of them. Uh huh. You know, that there are these long labored songs about a long labored thing of, being in an airport and flying. Well, what I think San Francisco, not what I think San Francisco is about. There's really no guessing there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, San Francisco is is leaving a particular place. This song, to me, it's, it's really just a poem about drinking at an airport bar. Mm-hmm. And what he does really well within this is that he kind of uses the visuals, toothpicks, Bloody Marys and and things like that mm-hmm. and puts together an image where he's applying, you know, he's applying the toothpicks to himself to express how he's feeling. He's bleary-eyed. He's getting on a flight and mm-hmm. and it's got like it's it's just got a really nice tone to it and it's not as heavily based on, you know, like flying from one place to another because of this reason. It's just like Matt Skiba's just like bleary eyed, but he's got this like 
like this bank of words that can put together something interesting just out of that image. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and that's, you know, goes back to the first thing I brought up, but like, I know you said like you didn't like a lot of this record and I feel like this is a good jumping off point to get into what is happening on this record. Right. You know, cause as I said, I think this sets the tone for everything. You know, what about this song works for you in terms of why he's like, you know, slightly inverting inflection or maybe certain words here and there that maybe doesn't work on some of the other material on Maybe I'll Catch Fire? Right. Because, you know, there's this is kind of symptomatic of of a lot of the problems I have with this record where, you know, it's it's a little bit repetitive. It's a little bit like too heavily structured. It goes back and, you know, all of that. I do like, you know, the language to an extent that I'm captivated by it. And I'm also captivated by his like word replacements where, you know, other times if I'm not feeling it so much, like if, you know, if he does the, uh, the first verse, third verse thing, but like changes one line or like Mm -hmm. adds a different word, I'm, you know, not getting into specifics here, but like that works when it works and then it doesn't work when it doesn't work. Right. Sure. Um, this one in particular though, I really love the verses so much and I actually prefer the verses to this song over the chorus. I agree. I think the chorus to this song is really detrimental to the tone that's established in the verses of the song. If this song is about flying and how you hate flying, and you got to have a few Bloody Marys before you get on a plane, then huffing gas and sniffing paint doesn't really, you know, well, work within all I of that. I would say I love the start of the chorus, because it's it's in that more kind of like mid-tempo mode. I really do like that part, And this too. is actually something where I'll... I'll uh, I think Glenn does a little too much. I think he's he, he ramps it up and it doesn't need to be ramped up. If it's stayed in that mode, right, and it kind of finishes in that way to lead back in, it's that weird little hump it does that doesn't really make much sense. Uh-huh. You know, where like I think the chorus would be stronger like when he comes into it if it just maintained that pace. Yeah. And it could maybe if they had trimmed a hair, you know, there, it, it might work a little better. Um so I understand that. But I yeah, to me like Part of the reason I've always loved Maybe I'll Catch Fire is that it's such a record that doesn't really give you the payoff in the way of a goddamn it or even I lied my face off EP where like it's a record that kind of establishes this tone and, and there are good choruses and great songs throughout it in my opinion but like you really don't feel the release of tension until the last song you know it's a record to me that feels like it kind of wants to be mired in the shit. Right. And I think that that's true. And I guess my relationship with this record probably has a lot to do with the fact that hearing radio a lot of times, you get to a point where you don't need to hear it anymore. Totally. I mean, I've had this conversation with people before where, like, there was a period where I really disliked that song. Uh Uh-huh. Because, yeah, because everybody who 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 knows how to play one thing on the guitar knows how like, to play that. Yeah, God. which is weird that that song's had that kind of life. Uh-huh. Because it's not like there there are people I know who do not listen to punk, who do not listen to Alkaline Trio, but know and love radio. Right, and it's confusing to me. Yeah, it's. I guess what's what's interesting about radio is that it's kind of 
you know, part of going back and revisiting all of this stuff is that you have these moments with the things that you really care about when you're young Mm. that you reach a point where you decide that you don't like it anymore because it's stupid. Mm -hmm. And radio is a really easy one to decide it's stupid because you've heard it too many times. The, The payoff is you can't relive that. You can't relive the way that chorus hits again. And so I think that it's like, it's kind of, it's easy pickings on a song like radio. And, you know, having gone through that process with it and allowing radio to kind of represent the record in a lot of ways, it's, it's been one that like, you know, when I first I guess turned on the alkaline trio or when I would get into discussions about, you know, whether or not the alkaline trio was actually good. Like I would point out that I thought maybe I fire wasn't that good, yeah. but later records were, sure. and, you know, picking at it, you know, through that lens, um, I think has, you know, marked a lot of my perspective and, I guess on the other side of that, though, is that, you know, you you grow out of the phase where you need to, like, actively shit on the things that you used to like because maybe you're embarrassed by them a little bit. Or because this is, like, the thing that made it popular and no longer yours. Right. Which I think is a a different thing, but a symptom of a similar thing that people do, especially when you're in your teenage years. Yeah, totally, totally. It's kind of like the course that everybody runs for, for some reason. Yeah, I mean... It's just the ownership we feel and the kinship we feel towards something. And when it stops being ours, it's very hard to grapple with. Right. You know, and, and radio is, is symptomatic of that. And I think is a reason a lot of, because with that being the big song on this record, uh-huh. and I, I wouldn't even say arguably, I would say is the poppiest, catchiest thing here. If you don't like that song very much or have mixed feelings about it, there's not a lot else here that's going to like appeal to you. Right. And there's a good amount, I think, of this record where you can go and kind of point at the flaws to it and mm-hmm. you're you've decided that it wasn't okay with you to to a certain extent. Yeah. Like Fuck You Aurora is a really a really good example of of a song where it's just like it's like yeah I, all right like everybody knows that song and they like to say it because they like to say fuck and like God damn like I'm you know and mm-hmm. like sure I'm sure I'm, you know I'm implying being like seventeen here but you know but going you are twenty two so you're not that far off from seventeen I'm actually four years old yeah um you know going back to it now it's just like oh man there's like so much heaviness happening in that song and i like it for reasons that i didn't like it before because i think it's a really great song yeah yeah i mean and it's the same with keep up coming to bring this all back around like right. i think there there's definitely been periods like when i first heard the record i really liked it i kind of fell off of it because of radio and then i think would throw jabs at it for maybe not being what i wanted it to be at the time of like uh-huh. keep up coming it's like this roof takes forever and da 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 but now, like, looking at this record, I really love it for what kind of weird things it throws into the mix. And, yeah. and just the kind of, like, you know, they were really popping off. And then to make a record that, like, I would just describe as the difficult second record, you know, is, is kind of, like, I don't know if that was a choice or right. if that's just what came naturally. But it, it feels so different. Well, yeah. And that's second records are really hard. And they're really hard for a lot of reasons. And I think that deciding 
to do something very intentionally that was the same but also a little bit different that really really takes a lot of gumption yeah and it's like you know when if i were to reframe their catalog in records that make sense together like if from here to infirmary followed this you'd be like okay that makes sense yeah like i I think it is a much more logical thing and this record feels like you know either a weird high point or low point depending on what you want out of this band yeah totally yeah and it's it's like i guess maybe the one that i have like the most difficulty with like actually getting an objective view because my perspective on it has changed so many times yeah i agree this song i've never really fallen off with though i've always thought that that this song was was strong and it was coherent and you know even though it set itself up to be you know it sets itself up to do things that when i start to turn on it i'm just like god just like this song can it be over yet sure sure this one has always like i guess kept a kept a good spot in my standing well speaking of standings you know i think there's one thing left to do which is talk about where we rank al line on the best players of all time list easily top 50 but for the purposes of our little experiment here i give this song four bloody marys out of five um i give this song four toothpicks out of five LK line. Hey, um, if you like what we're doing here, I, I hope you do. Cause I really like doing this. I mean, I really like LK line, so I don't understand what anyone would not like about this. Um, please subscribe to this podcast and, uh, rank it and write a review for it and tell people about it, you know, share it with, uh, with, people in your life who who you know you you got some some fond memories with of Mm -hmm. of playing of uh you know playing radio in front of uh in front of a fire and (laughs) and stealing beers from your parents garage and uh listening to it on airplanes i don't know i don't know david (laughs) what i think you need to do is i think you need to go to the baseball hall of fame and you need to play this song in front of al kaline's bat jersey really get the full picture of what is going on here um and i think that's who you should be sharing it with 